Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast. In the world of modular MEV and great vibes, we have our lovely peeps from UMA. Rob and I have been long-term supporters. We were messing around on DeFi Summer and UMA was there. So that was a, that was a sign of the OGness of of Hart and Chris and a re- really cool product launch recently. So without much further ado, um, would love to just get a quick uh, kind of um, intro from Chris. I know you're, you're a bit uh, you know, kind of new to the to the roll up, and then love to just dive right in. Sure, yeah. Hey guys, thanks for having us on. So I'm Chris. I work at Uma. I've been here for about four years, just over four years now. I uh, was on the engineering team for most of that time, ran part of the team for just over a year. And in the last six months, I've been in like a research capacity where I'm specifically looking at the intersect between MEV, intents, and oracles, and how this plays out into the future, and uh, have been involved in designing the Oval system, which we've launched pretty recently. Fantastic. So what are we, like a week post-launch now? Um... Yeah, something like this. How you see it, Dude, I, I actually forgot for a second that it was four full years I've been working with Chris. Holy shit, that's a long time. And um, yeah, um, oh man, uh, I'm feeling great, um, guys. This has been, it's been a cool launch and it's like we um, we caught a narrative that I think is pretty, uh, well, it was by design. We think this web capture narrative is real, um, but we should of course, give your, your viewers an overview of what Oval is, but I'm, I'm really pumped about it and pumped forward this, this can go. Uh, yeah, and I guess just for background, right, I'm hard. I, I co-founded Uma and Across. Um, I've talked with you guys for a while. I've been a big, big, long-time supporter of the roll-up um, and what you guys have been doing. Uh, young, hungry, let's figure out this crypto thing. Let's do it together. Do some fun podcasts. Um, let's have some fun. Um so yeah, I guess I'll give the like two second overview of what Oval is, yeah, at a real high level, and then like leave it to you guys to poke and prod um, and steer a conversation. Um, uh, but Oval uh, stands for Oracle Value Aggregation Layer. That's how we came up with the name. Uh, we have these fun egg emojis floating around uh, as our our icon, which I thought was idiotic and people seem to like. So hey. Let's go for it. Uh, I'm uh, I'm not good at marketing. Uh, the idea for Oval is that Oracle price updates uh, from products like Chainlink leak MEV. We can talk about why that is and how that happens. They leak MEV on the order of a hundred million bucks a year, something like that. We can also talk about how we estimate that number, and that hundred million bucks a year is going to Ethereum validators who don't really need it. Uh, so Oval is uh, a MEV capture tool, specifically an Oracle MEV capture tool uh, that can be used by anyone using Chainlink price feeds today and can actually capture that 100 million bucks order of magnitude of MEV and redirect it back to the protocol um, and to Chainlink itself too. Um, I will point out that Oval is not an Oracle. We don't provide price feeds at all. It's purely MEV capture. And it's built on top of Chainlink using Chainlink price feeds. Let you guys take it from there. So let's just put this in practical terms. I'm a DGen on Aave. I've got my my whale size position of ten thousand dollars of ETH, and I've borrowed nine thousand, or sorry, I borrowed about seven thousand three hundred 
pushing the LTV at like 80%, really close there. So my health factor is at about 1.1 um, or maybe a little less. All of a sudden, ETH takes a nosedive. Boom, Ave liquidates me. I believe they take 5% on ETH positions. Um, and in this current state, there's some sort of uh, price update from Chainlink, which uh, typically comes from a, an aggregation of centralized exchanges that tells Ave that the price of ETH is you know now down 10%. So this user is basically underwater. Um, some bot or some sort of liquidation engine kind of comes in and repays my my debt and captures that five percent. Um, but what where where Oval comes in is in that process of the of the price feed in that liquidation. So kind of walk us through the, the like the uh, the the technicality of kind of that of where I I kind of misstepped there and kind of where Oval comes into that equation. Yeah. And that's a that's like a perfect tee up here for the to talk about the MEV supply chain and kind of how Oval fits within the supply chain. So in the example you were giving now, you have this chain link price that hits the public Ethereum mempool. Uh, everyone can see that it's there, right? It's kind of pending until it's included in a block, which optimistically will take you know sub twelve seconds from when it hits the mempool to it's included, but it could be a bit longer. Um, and at that point, the way that the supply chain is structured today is that you have searchers seeing that this update is going to catalyze that liquidation, right? Like everyone can agree that uh, the price of ETH going from whatever, 2,400 to 2,200 creates enough of a delta that that position is underwater. And that's going to create this like sort of risk-free opportunity on the table that anyone can take. So what happens today is that you have searchers bidding to backrun that update. So a background in, in this context means that they want their transaction to be placed immediately behind the update. So you what what the searcher wants is Chainlink update lands on chain and behind that update is their transaction so they can be the first to use this new price. So the venue in which these bits happen today is within like the MEV uh, infrastructure along the MEV supply chain. So searchers are submitting bids to builders and these builders then run an auction where they basically choose the bid that pays them the most uh, to actually backrun this Oracle update. So you'll have, yeah, a, a bundle constructed by a searcher that in the first slot in the bundle is the Chainlink update followed by their liquidation. And the, the builder is going to choose the bid that, that pays them the most. Um, the builder then pays that revenue to the validator, right? That effectively all of the value flows to the validator in this auction. Uh, and how like builders make money is kind of unrelated here, but for the, the context of information that's like universally known by all builders, uh, it's pretty fair to assume that all that value flows to the validator. So the searcher is effectively paying the validator for the rights to background this chain link update. Um, and when we talk about like how much money you can make and how much is lost here, the, the way we, we think about this is basically what that liquidation bonus is, right? The thing that you mentioned that that's like 5% threshold. So the way to think about that is like Ave is effectively selling the direct debt to the liquidator at a discount, right? So they're, they're letting the liquidator repay this bad debt and giving them the collateral at a 5% like better price than what they could on Uniswap. So the liquidator is going to liquidate that position, just walk away with 5%. So the way Oval works and the way we fit along the supply chain is we effectively insert an auction that searchers need to now bid on to actually uh, have the right to background that Oracle update. And instead of all of the value flowing to the builder and then sort of indirectly to the validator, this 
special option captures that value and then kicks it back to the protocol that created the value in the first place. And the way we've done this is by leveraging MEV share. So MEV share is a tool built by Flashbots and MEV protect is built on MEV share, which is like, uh, or, or, uh, yeah, MEV protect, which is Flashbots' uh, like MEV recapture tool that users can, can use. So the way that this works is like you would connect your wallet to it and when you submit a swap on, on Uniswap or whatever, you would actually get refunds or MEV associated with backgrounds, right? So like a Uniswap swap, you would get a kickback. So what we've done with Oval is basically built a version of that product, but for the protocol by leveraging this existing two lane. So we run this, this special auction that lets you bid to background and we capture like up to 90% of that MEV that would have gone to the validator now goes to the protocol. Um, we could go a lot deeper, but I'll, I think I'll, I'll stop there and we can kind of see the supply chain before and after effectively has this like, extra block being inserted where we create the special auction to to capture that excess value and then redirect it to the protocol rather than to the validator got it i guess so um yeah I'll, I'll, if i were to summarize in one second guys andy you you had this five percent number and one really kind of conceptually simple way to think about it is all Aave cares about is selling bad debt they just need to sell it they just need to make that happen so they take a really large discount to sell it at, and they hard code it to 5% to the Chainlink update. And what Oval's basically doing is it's running an auction to actually price what that discount should be at the market clearing price. So this is kind of like the finance guy explanation from it. So we're saying, hey, we're selling debt now. And conceptually what's happening is, what is it gonna cost to sell this debt at a discount? And it's not 5%. It's always less than 5%. Aave's never had a failed liquidation in its history. So it might be like 1% or 0.5% or it might be nothing, right? And Oval runs an auction, captures that money, puts a market price on where we should sell this collateral. And that that money gets redirected back to the protocol. Right. And you're saying there's enough liquidable value for this to equate to hundreds of millions or, you know, a lot of money at stake here. Yeah, like very simply, it's a, it depends on how many liquidations there are, right? So the more liquidations, the more money is getting lost this way. So basically, every time there's a liquidation, Aave and Compound are selling collateral too cheap. Um, and so if we look at their liquidations, if there's a billion dollars of liquidations, which there approximately is, right? In, uh, you know, every, well, I think on Aave, about 500 million a year, something like that it depends on the year we're looking at. Um, for 500 million of, uh, of liquidations, a 10% liquidation bonus, that's 50 million bucks of excess value that's being hit away. And that just goes to additional Ethereum validators who get, that's like, that's like when you, like, for example, when you go on staking rewards and choose your validator to stake your ETH, you can basically choose MEV, I want MEV, or I don't want MEV blocks effectively. Um, and so this is this is kind of part of, of that extra yield that, you know, those stakers would would receive as part of being a validator, which does participate in collecting MEV. And you're saying, well, why why should they get that? Why why shouldn't there be a, a more equitable distribution of this, or at the very least, a more profitable distribution of this to, um, you know, those who can create a better solution? Yeah, and there is an important point there, right? It's not like this money is just made up out of thin air. It like does exist. It's going to the Ethereum stakers today, 
However, there's generally broad consensus that like those guys don't need the money. They're already getting paid their Ethereum stake rewards. And we don't need that excess money to secure Ethereum. It's basically like they're getting paid extra for staking Ethereum that isn't needed and isn't actually factored into like the economics of the Ethereum protocol. So uh, viewers on your on the podcast are going to listen and be like, well, I'm a staker, so I get less money. And the answer is like, yeah, you would. I mean, in the scheme of all your rewards, it's very small. Um, but uh, it's a much more efficient use of that money for it to go back to the protocol and for it to go to like Chainlink. Chainlink should get paid for their Oracle uh, price source here too. Um, and yeah, Oval One and Stake, uh, what that'll be, we'll, we'll figure out. But it's more efficient for it to go back to the protocol, go back to Chainlink um, and make the protocol more uh, sustainable. And actually, guys, maybe later on, we can talk about how med capture, MEV capture, kind of opens up a new type of like business model for some of these protocols too. It does indeed. And, and I, I saw you guys get some flack for trying to make money in crypto. Would you look at that? Trying to create a project which actually makes money and you are just, just banned from the timeline. But on a more um, important, I guess, uh, philosophical and um, like programmable level, um, the and Hart, we spoke about this quite a while ago, which was um, something that you know that you guys were pondering, which was um, in the oval infrastructure when these uh, price feeds come in. Um, you know, there, the, there's a bit of concern from some um, MEV players, whether because they are directly affected by this in their business model, or because they're actually ideologically concerned about the centralization risks of sort of this um, OEV capture tool. Um, now, honestly, like I'm not gigabrain enough to really like understand it all, but I, I I understand that there's there's some potential centralization risks to Oval. How, how do you kind of like go about this? What is the points in which you can kind of refute these risks and perhaps even like start by explaining why these concerns have been brought up and you know um, how how you guys are thinking about it? So I'll go quick, and then Chris can go deeper or technically here um the thing that i want like the way chris described this is we're auctioning off the right teams of chain like price update um the way this happens is we run an auction and right now there is no uh decentralized way to run that auction and sign a message doesn't exist yet those technologies are coming and they're kind of cool and quite interesting but there is no decentralized way to do that today um so we are using a pseudo centralized technology based off of uh, Flashbot's MedShare, which is trusted and does the same thing. So we essentially have the same security assumptions as Flashbot's MedShare and the same, the same centralization risks as the rest of the MEV supply chain. And we're running this centralized auction, um, pseudo centralized auction, and we will own that. Like there is this point of centralization. The point to make very clear is the worst thing that happens here is your price is delayed by a short parameter and we're talking like three blocks 36 seconds um that's i'll be actually super technically true that's it's one worse not, it's not a short i mean it's short but it's and i'm, I'm, I'm not trying to pick it prod too hard but it's it's it, 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 it can be a yeah well okay so first of all that third that sock thing that is in the 0.01 percent case so it's extremely rare right we're saying that 90% of the time there's no delay, 99% of the time there's like a 12 block delay. Um, it, it So this is, we're talking about 
uh, low numbers here. Edge cases here. And you have to put this, one of the things that I, I'm slightly frustrated by um, with this line of critique is um, if you understand how these DeFi lending protocols work, this is not a problem, right? Like chainlink prices come in every hour, right? There's just not big moves here. So these delays, I think uh, it's, it's one of, it's kind of like a little bit of a nerd snipey comment. If I'm going to be a bit spicy reader, a uh, little bit of a nerd snipey comment where you're like, okay, wait, there's thing. It's like, well, look, we thought about this pretty deeply. Um, and trust me, this is uh, not a concern. Moreover, there's actually some really cool, Oval is a really cool tool to help decrease the insolvency risk of these protocols. So Andy, back to your example, we're saying right now there's a 5% discount um, that uh, in your liquidation example, uh, when there's liquidation on ETH collateral, uh, we sell it at 5% discount. Well, let's take a, a riskier token um, that you want to use that maybe has really big price moves. Like you might be like, okay, to keep this protocol safe, we actually, there could be a worst case where we need a 40% discount or something like that. And what Oval would let you do is actually you could program it where it'd be like in the worst case, it is a 40% discount. But because we run this auction, we actually efficiently price that discount to whatever the market cleared rate is all the time. So you could actually increase your liquidation discounts. So your worst case scenario, you're more protected without actually your average, with your average case getting better. That did, did I lose you on that or did that kind of sense? Nope. I, it has been a dire problem of lending markets, especially across some of the more um, aggressive chains of bad debt. Um, and to be able to to create a a permissionless market for this, um, to to ensure the lack of this problem in the future, and be able to to uh, offer uh, several protocols um, compensation as 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 per result. Yeah, on the same page. So one thing we could double click on when we talk about centralization here, I think, is like just comparing what Oval's centralization risk looks like versus like the current status quo. So when we were talking earlier about like what the current supply chain looks like, we spoke about there being an auction where such as is currently bidding to background updates, right? Like this is still happening. So that's happening within like builders who are doing, who are facilitating this auction. And that centralization risk uh, and the way to think about like the, the sort of security model of that looks basically the same as what it looks like with Oval, right? Like the Oval auction is actually technically running within the same builder. Right, we're we're running, we're not using a different venue for the auction, right? Like the MEV share and like the oval contracts and all of this. Like what this does is like protects the update and kind of governs who can do the background. But the the venue for the auction is the same. So when we talk about like censorship around blocks within the builder, like all of this stuff remains basically equivalent, right? Like a malicious builder today could choose to do nasty things to someone uh, that is trying to do a liquidation now. Where it, where it does differ, though, is that there's always a situation in the standard MUD supply chain where, like, you can submit a vanilla block, and a, and the, the the proposer might be able to choose like a block that wasn't constructed by by a builder directly, right? So you you can always like sort of bypass the builder if the validator chooses to build a vanilla block. And in the case of Oval, like in this uh, construction, like on this construction, like you're going to have that like three block delay, which you wouldn't have today. So that's like kind of where it gets kind of nuanced. But 
uh, from our perspective, like this three block delay is really not like a super massively meaningful thing to most money markets. Um, and another thing I'll say that's important to note here is like this value is configurable, right? Like the, the idea behind this is to say like, consider like how long it's going to take probabilistically for you to be able to include a block that was built by a builder that the searcher was connected to. So something like 90% of Ethereum blocks are built by builders that are connected to MEV share, right? So MEV uh, boost is connected to 90% of validators and MEV share, the thing we're built on is connected to MEV boost. So about 90% of the validators in the in the Ethereum set, uh, we have access to submitting these bundles to. So the, the question really is like, how long does it take if you have access to 90% of, of blocks to have like a high inclusion delay, or sorry, let me rephrase that, to have a low chance of a long inclusion delay. So we want to minimize the chance of delays over a three block period that goes down to like 0.1% chance that you're going to submit to a builder that's not connected. So that's kind of like where the logic behind this number came from is like what seems reasonable here. Um, yeah, and in terms of the the markets, like the impact this could have on Abe, for example, and um, when you think about like the impact of a price delay, really like, uh, you know, Chainlink updates every hour or if the price diverges by more than half a percent on ETH, and I think it's like 1% on other fee. So there are situations where that's delayed anyways. And in sort of this 0.1% of the time you have a three block delay, uh, it doesn't seem to be like a super massively impactful thing for the money market. Now, obviously there's like deeper analysis that needs to be performed exactly on like the financial risk that this poses on a money market. But I think in conjunction with things like Hart was proposing like larger liquidation bonuses, which kind of increases the, the safety tolerance of the protocol around like impact of delays um they're, they're constructions that are like equivalently safe if not safer when you introduce like this extra market mechanism into the into the liquidation flow personally not a huge fan of uh increased liquidation bonuses uh, i like my uh five percent for degening hard yeah but andy what if your five percent was actually the worst case and it never hit there and instead it was like two percent or one percent right and uh, your lending markets actually offered other long tail assets that I'm sure, Andy, you never touch the really DGENY long tail assets. I'm sure that's not something you do. But there is a market out there for people that want to get leverage on their DGENY long tail assets. And lending markets can't safely include those in many of their designs because they would need to put like an insane liquidation bonus on it and then take that every time, which would then be a really shitty experience. So we're just saying it's a new tool. Like um, they're very clearly, like when I zoom out on the thing that I think it's really hard for people, I, I think even people that, um, I don't think there's anyone that disagrees with the idea of running an auction for the market clearing price for liquidation makes sense. Right? And that's what we're doing. So just one uh, closing thought on just to close that loop, as I think Rob's going to probably take us um, in another direction, is that um, if I'm if I'm using uh, a a a pooled lending market like an Aave or an isolated market, I'm not sure if it's going to change the dynamics here. Um, and, and let's say the the current liquidation bonus is five percent on this ETH example, but I get liquidated and and actually uh, in 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 this instance, um, Oval's been implemented and. Um, are 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 you saying that uh, like as a user who's been liquidated, I will have less of a penalty if Lobel if Oval has been implemented on the 
on the asset which I'm borrowing or which I'm lending and then borrowing against, or um, that the compensation doesn't come back to the user, it goes back to the, the protocol. So maybe we can get into that conversation about like how, how you guys aim to kind of use the use the auction uh, or use the results, but just first, like from a user perspective, does anything change in an oval implemented market? That's that you, you nailed it though. It goes back to the protocol and the protocol can choose what they do with it. Okay. Right. So the protocol could say, Hey, let's make liquidations less painful for users. So let's like anything we got from their liquidation, we'll pay back to them. Um, uh, or the protocol can say, actually, let's make like, I'm making stuff up here, right? But the protocol can yeah. say, let's make gas fees free for users and all their transactions. So that was protocols like free to use because it's paid for yeah. by liquidations, right? Or they added to the um, insurance or the safety module or whatever it is, right? Right. Or they they buy and burn their token, like return it to token holders, right? Or And they do a combination of all these things. Um, you know, in our example where you increase the liquidation bonus to have increase to, to, to decrease the risk of the protocol in the worst case scenario, um, Maybe what you do then is you say, hey, we pay back most of the liquidation bonus back to the user that got liquidated, um, but we keep, I don't know, a third of it and buy and burn tokens. So uh, the Ave token, for example. Um, right. So the point is, it's like another degree of freedom for how people can actually, um, what the protocol can do and where they want to send this money. Um, but it's money the protocol did not have before. So from my perspective, um, uh, it's, it's kind of a no brainer, right? People can take this money. The protocol could take this money and use it to increase their own revenue or redirect that revenue back to, um, the things that they think are important to that community. Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors. Right before we get back to this fascinating discussion, we have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premia Finance. Premia is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premia, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. What sets Premia apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premia has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Feel free to check it out at premia.finance, hedge your risks, or amplify your positions um, to earn more capital-efficient returns on Premia Finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plan of Finance. I've recently been onboarded as an advisor for Plan of Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction with Plan of Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Plan of Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Plan of Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Planet Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. 
this is a new paradigm because so few crypto applications are generating revenue. These are uh, ideas that only a few projects have uh, have considered. Um, and yeah, I'd like to keep going in this direction. Like the the roll-up centric roadmap that Vitalik put out there has like an entire section on MEV. It's called the Scourge. It's between I think it's between like the Verge and the Splurge or something like that. But um, one of the things on there, Chris, you mentioned very briefly, which was inclus inclusion lists, and that's something that like seems to have a role in the MEV supply chain. The the word inclusion list, all like that term, also seems like just intuitively a bit centralized. So I'm curious if you could like shed some light on like what role that plays in the MEV supply chain and how Oval may impact uh, the future of the scourge. Okay, so to be clear, I was talking about inclusion rates, not inclusion lists. Uh, inclusion lists are a, a different concept and something that's not really live on mainnet today and also it's not something that we like strictly have designed around or really thought about. Uh, inclusion lists are about being able to avoid censorship of transactions from like uh, validators that uh, collude to exclude transaction sets. So yeah, not not really something we've designed about today. It, what I meant by inclusion rates here is thinking about like uh, given like how many builders there are and like what validators are connected to those builders, how long does it take for you to submit a transaction and from it being submitted for it to actually be included in a block. Gotcha. And yeah, right. And and it's those small processes, just sort of our community can kind of really get their head around. It's these small little time gaps and processes that occur within the chain, almost that like you, you would have no idea from, from the user perspective, but this is where like the majority of this MEV is, or MEV is kind of captured from. Um, and And people call it toxic. Um, MEV and it, like, are are you guys approaching this from like, okay, we're trying to solve like this like toxic problem, or is it like uh, we're trying to just give, like, like I, I was curious from the first principles, like why you guys decided that this was something that you wanted to approach. Like, was it like, is it strip, is it crypto ec economic? Is it I like what is the like what is the first principles? Maybe we should have talked about this in the very beginning, but like, you know, like why? Well. Okay, let's let's just go into this word toxic and where this comes from here. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's actually a definition for what is toxic MEV or what isn't. But like from a user perspective, no one wants to get their face ripped off. Like that sucks, right? I want to do things and I want an expected behavior. Um, and so where a lot of this toxic MEV comes from, it's like, oh, I'm using Uniswap and I set a 5% slippage window limit um, and I do this trade and I lose 5% or I pay my worst possible price. But like, I look at Binance, I look at like the user, it barely, it didn't change. Like, how did I just get my face ripped off there? That's toxic. That sucks. Right. The sandwiches. Maybe. And that's sandwiches mainly. And by the way, small segue, um, what Aave and like other lending markets are doing, it's conceptually equivalent to sending a Uniswap trade with a five to 10% slippage window, and they're getting their faces ripped off by this supply chain. So I would argue that it's like kind of toxic, um, toxic for them. Uh, but 
Andy, now it goes to like, okay, we'll, we'll all agree that nobody wants that to happen. You want users to have expected behavior, right? Then there becomes a lot of like philosophies here of like, should you try to eliminate MEV? And how should you try to eliminate MEV? Um, uh, should you capture MEV? And how should you try to capture MEV? Things like this. Um, and I think I wrote on a tweet. Um, I, I grew up with like in the reduce, reuse, recycle concept. I don't know if you guys grew up with this either, right? Um, so it's like re reduce your waste consumption, reuse the things you can, and recycle what's left over, right? And um, uh, so we, I don't know that reuse replies here, but I think the right philosophical angle I take is sure, let's design things to reduce MEV. We will not eliminate it. There will be MEV, right? Um, so we can reduce smart things and we increasingly have better protocol designs, better mechanisms that reduce less MEV, but it doesn't get eliminated. Whatever is left over, let's recycle, or in this case, recapture it and use it to do useful things. Um, and that's my, my take. And I think it's cool, right? Like it works. So let's do it. I think one, one thing that like flows nicely from that is around like, um, and also to, in regards to your question, like the inspiration or like the context of why we built this is you can build systems that internalize MEV on their own, right? Like you don't need oval in all situations to capture MEV, right? You could build other again from the ground up. And you could run an auction in protocol or you could use another system. And like a lot of other like perpetual protocols and money markets like have done this, right? They've like designed systems where they've either minimized or internalized MEV like within the protocol. So the take that we were saying though is like there's all this money that's like clearly on the table uh, with these projects that already have traction. And it's like it's a lot more difficult to convince someone like Abe to rebuild their protocol from the ground up and then migrate all their users. If there's this sort of like modular component that we can slap on the slot on the side uh, that kind of doesn't add meaningful risk but just creates new cash flows. So, like V1, like where we wanted to start with this really was like, how do we take existing protocols that are audited, that are on mainnet, that are live today, and how do we give them the tools to internalize this MEV without needing to be rebuilt? Right. So, like one of the big like guiding principles of how we designed it is that. We wanted it to be like a drop-in replacement for projects that use existing Oracle types. So like the oval contracts like look like Chainlink, smell like Chainlink, behave like Chainlink, but they pay you, right? So like- They use Chainlink, Chris. And use Chainlink, right? They, uh, they wrap Chainlink. So it, it's it's a it's a, pay, a, a a version of Chainlink that pays you from that perspective. Um, and I think that that was like a really important component of how we designed it in the beginning, just because it's like, it, it's it's very uh, difficult to to find other ways of like modifying these systems without them needing to be reaudited and redeployed and, and this kind of thing. So that that was like part part of why we approached it like that. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of long tail stuff that we could get into around like what does this look like in the future. But at least for the beginning, like that was kind of this immediate like gap that we saw around like how do we provide services to these projects that that haven't been able to internalize it, maybe because they were built before this was a thing or before like these mechanisms were more like well understood and this kind of thing. Yeah. No, yeah, good. One of the things that occurred to me, I thought I was kind of like digging a little bit into this was that um, this is 
almost an argument like against app chains in a certain sense. Like DYDX, you know, they may have they may have deployed their own app chain for a bunch of different reasons, one of which might have been to internalize that MEV. Now these these apps that have traction, you know, maybe Ave was considering an app chain and one of the reasons why was to internalize MEV, but now they don't need to uh, disalign from Ethereum because they can stay on Ethereum and also internalize the MEV. Yeah, I, I, but I think I, I do. I see what you're saying. Like having a module, module, uh, uh, like something you can plug in that lets you capture MEV. Maybe that is one uh, reason why you were considering an app chain and you're not anymore. Like he wanted to internalize that, but I don't think that's the only reason why people want to build app chains. And I also don't think Oval, like not today, today it's on L1, but our L2 designs mean we'd plug into any app chain or any EVM compatible rollup too. So I still think even if you were to build your own app chain, there's still use for having this MEV module you can plug into. Um, uh, particularly if it's giving you like high quality price data, like Chainlink data. Yeah. So what does Oval look like in the, the multi-chain world? Like beyond Ethereum, what does, where does Oval fit in? I think like Chris can maybe touch on it, but I like, we're not, our designs here aren't fleshed out enough to have us be like super crisp um, for you and your viewership on what that might look like. Um, I think the concepts are the same though. You auction off the rights to use like a price update or a chain like price update. Um, and yeah, like Chris, I want you to hop in, but uh, the thing I'd add is like what the MEV supply chain looks like on L2s is both quite different and quite undeveloped. So the yeah. concepts are going to remain the same, but how you do it, um, is, is different. Yeah. I guess all I'll really add is like, we, we have spent obviously a lot of time thinking about this, but I don't think we have anything that's like super ready for production or not ready for production, ready for, for to talk about too publicly. But yeah, just echoing what Pat said, like creating a venue within these domains that do not have like robust supply chains and, and also like importantly robust venues for like running off, right? Like on mainnet, there's like this, there's an auction here you can send things to and say like, this is how much I want to pay for this block space. Right, like builders are literally selling block space. Um, on Arbitrum, for example, that doesn't exist in any meaningful way. And on Optimism, it also doesn't exist, but it also looks completely different, right? So how you build systems that are like universally uh, reachable is like a whole broad design space. The one thing I will say though, um, and we're like obviously keenly aware of this, is systems like Suave, which is a whole can of worms that we could get into, but don't really need to, but Suave, which is kind of like the next iteration of what Flashbots are building as this kind of um, turnkey solution for running like permissionless mechanisms and like what they want to be like this venue for MEV systems. Systems like Suave, I think, can power uh, more robust multi-chain versions of Oval, right? I, I'll leave it at that for now in terms of what the multi-chain version looks like. But yeah, we definitely are considering this very seriously. Um, but it's, it's also like, I also think it's like kind of less of an issue in the multi-chain space, right? Like one of the, the interesting things about MEV on mainnet is like by virtue of like the long block time, like, and, and by virtue of the fact that there is such like a large amount of TVL already in these like kind of 
inefficiently designed mechanisms, right? There's like a lot of MEV to be extracted. But on a lot of the layer twos, like by virtue of faster block times and like different Oracle designs and also like more robust like mechanisms within these like liquidation systems, like it, there's like a lot less MEV to, to be captured, at least right now, right? Like, and that's not to say that that's going to be the case forever. And it's not to say there is no MEV, but at least to begin with, like the the, the big highs is still main net for now. Yeah, and there's a lot less at stake, um, a lot less liquidity, um, and honestly, just less whales. And so, like, where there are big users is where there are, you know, more MEV. And, and it brings me to the economic point. You guys got some flack about your economic choices with regards to deciding to be a crypto protocol to make money, which is kind of memeing around. Um, but I'd like to explore why you guys have... Well, let's just start with the what. Like, when you guys were, were designing this, you guys basically realized, like, okay, we could unlock this amount of capital. Now, what kind of has gone through your um, uh, kind of uh, thought processes to establish how you would like to distribute this in, you know, an equitable manner or in a manner which you think is 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 worthy of your efforts and, and time and developer resources and things. Just kind of take us to like, like the bare bones of, of this and then we can kind of talk about what is right and what is fair and that and that. I, don't, I mean, talking about what is right is going to be harder, Andy, but um, uh, moral, philosophical, I, I don't know. But no, the, the thought process here is pretty simple. Um, there's real money being left on the table. It's on the order of like 100 million bucks a year. I think that number is going to grow as DeFi grows. The L2 version of that number there is big too. Um, there, there's money being lost to MEV in a way that it shouldn't be, period, full stop. Um, intuitively, the biggest victims here are like Aave and compounded DeFi protocols. Those are the ones that are like losing that money and aren't getting it. Um, and so I think they should get most of it. And uh, the number that makes sense to me is they get half. The other half goes to the infrastructure required to capture this MEV. Um, the next biggest victim here is Chainlink, actually, because like Chainlink, um, Chainlink has robust economics for some of the other services they provide, like their VFR thing, randomness, CCIP, all this other kind of stuff. But for their old school price feeds, they don't, they're not getting paid by a lot of people for providing like what is a very useful and important service. So like Chainlink is a victim here and I like, Lending protocols have told me like they want to figure out a way to pay Chainlink, also because it makes their protocols sustainable. Like otherwise, it doesn't really make sense. Like Chainlink could just be like, okay, they're they're literally paying millions of dollars a year in gas to publish prices onto the blockchain, and we got to figure out a way to make that thing sustainable. Um, so, uh, you know, the way we look at it, again, we're not um, uh. This is a conversation we have with our uh, our partners, but I, we think half goes to uh, the integrating protocol, um, and the rest gets split between the uh, the infrastructure providers, which would be Oval, Chainlink, and Flashbots. I find it really that that Oval is able to create this auction to like arrive at an efficient price, but then when it comes to like how to reallocate like the proceeds of that auction, it's just like. 50 and like a like a split is there not like an auction mechanism to then arrive at another efficient price for redistributing that 
yeah, called competition, right? It's like, you know, that's market forces at work, right? So um, uh, from my perspective, and, and like, look, I'll be a little bit businessy here, right? And this is for the advantage. I'm, I'm doing this on behalf of like my token holders, but I'm also doing this on behalf of Ave token holders and comp token holders and link token holders, right? Like all these guys get to get paid um, from money that none of them are getting paid for. And I want Aave, Compound, Link, and Uma token holders to get paid. Um, uh, competition is real though too, right? So we think that our infrastructure has a cost and a service and it's going to go to the token holders. Um, if somebody else produces a different infrastructure, then there'll be a price battle, right? And that's the way it works. Um, and I think that that is kind of the way it should work. Yeah, I think you guys got pushed back because of the first. Ah, no, you taking all this, all this hard-earned revenue to your token holders when it's like, well, isn't that a sign of a of a strong, you know, project trying to to accrue value for their their token holders? But I think there's I think there's a bit of I I I I get in crypto. If you're making money, you're like people are are angry. You're doing it wrong. Weird. It's weird, man. But then you ask people, like, what are they here for? It's a weird one. It's a weird one. The vibes, Andy. We are here for the vibes. Good vibes only. I'm curious what Chris has to say about this, like, on the economic side, where you see this going. Like, Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the, the thing I was going to say earlier was just, like, I think it's important to remember, like, where the money is coming from, right? Like, searches are making the same, right? Their money is not affected. What we're taking money from is from the validator, right? So... Like the net cash flows in the system stay the same. It's just like the amount that ends up with the validator goes down. Um, and when we think about like where in the supply chain is there control, right? Like this is part of, I think, when we think about like protocols that internalize MEV, it's like the further they are up the supply chain, like the more control you have in some ways. Like the person who's submitting the transaction can choose where to send that transaction when you're using their blocker or whatever, right? And you can control like what OFA you enter and all that kind of stuff. So when we think about like the protocol recapturing value from the validator, like these aren't even like, you know, related entities almost in like a, a direct way. So it, it feels like a lot more like natural to start internalizing that. Um, and yeah, when we think about like any minimization versus capture versus like all these systems, like I, I think just ultimately like creating a venue that like, prices it is appropriately as possible so that, that the value that ends up being leaked from the system goes down and you can keep it internally between like all the parties involved right so there's not like some third party that's just making money so like you know pay Ave, pay Chainlink, like decrease the amount that the liquid like the user that got liquidated how much they got wrecked like let's keep it internal within the system rather than just like leaking it out and then it's just like a drain on the system totally agree and understand completely I think um, perhaps the economic flack comes from those who who have this ideological viewpoint of crypto with regards to being a public good, um, or perhaps large pools of validators. Um, but like the decrease in yield from staking from losing this amount of capital, it, it can't really be that significant. I mean, like it, it must be minuscule, like a tenth of a percent, a quarter of a tenth of a percent, or something. Um, so to that end, I'm not even sure the validators would even really like care that much. 
it's just it seems like seems like it's more of this public good dilemma. So we've kind of gotten into the weeds pretty heavily. Let's talk more about like practical implementation um, and kind of what this looks like going forward. So I guess like what does a practical imp implementation look like of this, like on the tech side, on the on the governance side? How do you foresee this being used? So. Like we mentioned earlier, like it's designed to be as simple as possible to use, just simply looking like Chainlink. Um, so for like an, an integration flow looks really like deploying your own Oval instance. Um, and like, you know, the Uma team is uh, geared and positioned to help with that. And then swapping out uh, your Chainlink integration to use Oval instead, right? Like you just swap the address that you use. So... For an existing money market that's done for a governance action. So it's deploying it, creating a payload to do the upgrade. Hot, please interject. I was going to interject. It's like, just the one thing that I want to be super clear on is Oval's not an Oracle. This is the thing that I'm just trying to like message time and time again. Um, we don't we don't change or control Chainlink prices. We simply run an auction on Chainlink right. prices to capture that value. So the only thing I want to just be super clear about is when we say you're like, you're not you're not swapping Chainlink for Oval. You are using Chainlink and adding on, bolting on Oval to capture that money. And so it's like a nuanced point. Oh. But I say it again, Chris. Wrap your Chainlink integration in Oval. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, keep going. Yeah, and that's basically it. All right, like there's a component that uh, there's like. And an oval node, if you go into the docs, you'll see like there's a component that needs to like create the transaction that's actually background. But this is something that like uh, we could do on your behalf and you can also run one of these if you wanted to. But functionally from like an actual implementation perspective, it's like introducing this wrapper and, and that's it. So the real question for protocols is like, you know, how much ADP are we generating? Um, and is this like small amount of effort worth free money basically? And, and I guess to be very to... concrete, uh, sorry, Andy, to be very concrete, by the time this podcast is out, there'll be like an Aave forum proposal up uh, it's, uh, for integrating Oval in a pilot program. This is the part I want to underscore because like, I care a lot about Aave doing things in a phased way, like just a conservative way. So it's integrating Oval in a pilot program on two isolated markets that together represent less than like way less than 1% of Aave's total TVL. So they're like siloed and isolated. Um, and uh, the proposal here is to have Aave experiment with MEB capture um, using Oval in a phased and safe way um, that doesn't affect the vast majority of their markets. Um, and the actual like governance vote here is just replace one address with the wrapped, with the Oval address that wraps Chainlink. So it's literally swap one uh, one address in your protocol for this other address, and that's it. So the integration technically is stupidly simple, and that way like it's by design. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, look, I, I gotta like be proud of my team here, right? Like, I I, I don't know whose idea it was. Like, we share ideas, but like, Chris and T designed this thing, so it's like, oh, you want to make hundreds of millions of dollars of money? Like, swap one address for this other address, and like. Wow. I, like, duh. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah. And is that applicable to all money markets? I mean, obviously, Aave income out of the big ones, but is that like, is there a specific type or is there specific parameters that you guys need? Or So so the answer, the short answer is anything that uses Chainlink price feeds could get wrapped with uh, Oval. Uh, I, 
anything that uses Chainlink price feeds on Ethereum mainnet can, can get those price feeds wrapped with Oval. Uh, the nuanced answer is like, there's always like different use cases that maybe, maybe like we need to look at more carefully. Um, but like for Aave, this is true. Um, and for most protocols, we believe that this is also true. So let's call it 90% of the time, there's nothing to do other than swap and address. What about a, a protocol that's using some other Oracle, like anything, you're right? Like Iran or, or something. Yeah. Um, Oval supports Chainlink. They're like the leader in, in DeFi. It's, um, oh, we, we focused on Chainlink because it makes sense and it's like their market dominance is just really big and um uh this is also like what you know Aave and compound use and they also want Chainlink to get paid so it just made sense yeah it's no surprise that um the market was pretty excited about uh this news um perhaps they're speculating on this bringing future cash flows to uma token holders in addition to the already Staking yield for uh, participating in the optimistic oracle um, kind of confirmations and things. What uh, in in a world where we're integrating with Ave, you know, Uma just obtains this new stream of revenue um, up to the tune of could be several million dollars a year, more less. You know, is there any thought that's gone into kind of what you guys would like to do um, with this extra revenue? Um, so two things I want to like reframe it and put it back, uh, to, yeah. uh, first of all, I think the people that should be most excited about this are like Ame token holders and comp token holders and also link token holders and Uma token holders, right? Like, trust me, I care about our community, but like Uma token holders are only going to get revenue if Ame comp and like link token holders do too. So there's a really, in my opinion, cool aligned incentive thing here too. Like we work for those guys, right? So Uma is working for Abedcom, other DeFi protocols too. I'm just, you know, if you're another DeFi protocol listening to this, I love you too. Trust me. Um, we're just pointing to the two guys that do have a chunk of TBL, right? Um, uh, but we're working for those guys to make them money. And then if they get revenue, Uma token also will get a cut. Um, where should that Uma token revenue go? I mean, look, I think it's it should go to the DAO and the DAO will decide. I think it should ultimately get returned to token holders. So, you know, um, there is some feedback in our community. It's kind of interesting. Um, some people in our community were like, really wanted to know where this money would go. And I was like, guys, don't you think we should get the money first and then figure this yeah. out? Probably. It's probably a decent idea. Here's the hearts trying to single-handedly bring back DeFi summer coins one by one, bring them out of the ashes. That would make me so happy just to see Ave and Link and Comp just start ripping. Everyone on Twitter is like talking about Solana meme coins and it's just like DeFi fucking summer 2.0, baby. OG DeFi summer. Every right. V style. Every V style. OG DeFi summer, every V style. So it's like a little harsh energy yeah. about tonight. It's going to be like, oh, right, my God. <laughs> um, anything else that's super important, guys, that you'd like to touch on with regards to this? Or Rob, do you have any questions? I mean, I was going to take this across to across, like, like there's tons of, I, I imagine there's tons of overlap. There's like an intersection 
of oval and across and chris is shaking his head yes i'm gonna let him just please run with this and all of your wildest imagination sure i mean i think the main connection here is like what we're doing is building systems to price things that are currently not very well priced that are like either mispriced or there is no venue to price them um across is like this intense based bridge and uh you know services a bunch of different domains and there's a bunch of different relayers or sort of these actors who facilitate the bridging um and right now there isn't like a really good venue to price uh, the way that they interact with the system there's like a lot of gas races there's a lot of these kinds of uh on-chain behavior that could be more optimally priced so uh i think the long arc of this is around building systems that we can modular in a modular way attach to other systems and create better venues to price them what would that mean for across ultimately lower fees uh higher performance faster performance time and you you basically create a space where relayers can participate on on filling relays in a similar way that uh liquidators bid on the right to background something you create a this this venue to 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 uh to fulfill a, a request to bridge um, and yeah, like as the multi-domain chain space evolves, I think there's going to be a lot of setups where you have these like off-chain actors participating and competing to fulfill on-chain intent. And uh, Oval and like the system of like tools that we're building out here is just like one venue that we think is pretty powerful and more than just oracles. So maybe there's some alpha there, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting uh, way of framing things for sure. The only thing I'll add, Chris, right? It's like our team, both the Across and the Yuma teams are becoming experts and literally at the frontier of blockchain systems that incentivize off-chain actors to do useful things. So Oval is incentivizing off-chain actors, searchers, liquidators to efficiently do um, on-chain liquidations or on-chain price updates. Um, and there's actually lots of ways where that goes. Across is incentivizing off-chain actors, relayers, to efficiently do bridge transactions. And like the parallels and the the, the connections between these, I didn't see this, you know, even six months ago. It's pretty wild. And I really do also think, particularly in um, uh, a multi-chain world, uh, that this type of architecture uh, is going to not only be common i think it's going to be required in many these cases and so i'm pretty stoked that on both both kind of protocols are got many common design patterns um that are working really well i saw a meme a few days ago from a mutual friend uh arjun from leafy about uh essentially uh all the npcs building uh ultimate intent pools and it just made it just made me think because like there's a lot of like when you talk about off-chain actors like intents are like the off-chain element of a transaction that ultimately gets settled and executed on chain so is there like a is there like a utopia here where like there's a global intent pool and it's like optimistically settled and like searchers or MEV, like optimizing for MEV and reallocating that back to the users. Is that like, yeah, 
pretty much, Robbie. Like, pretty much, like, like to make this less abstract, um, intense is this weird generalized word, but let's call it a cross-chain limit order um, with, like, an action on the end, right? And we can generalize over time, but it's just, it's an order ticket. Literally, like, visually imagine you, like, like the breakfast buffet or something. You, like, write down your order ticket and you sign the bottom of it and it's your off-chain signature. Um, and so everybody's got all these and they're all dumped into some pool uh, that would be a, a, ideally a decentralized system. Um, and you run auctions on filling all of them in a decentralized way. And the people running those auctions are like, I don't know, figure, I'll continue with the breakfast buffet analogy. It's like chefs trying to make you your omelet and they're competing to see who does it at the cheapest price, Right. Uh, and they go and they, they do that and then they fill you. Um, and like, this is a very efficient and cool way to get instant fills with huge amounts of competition in a cross chain interop landscape while recapturing all the meb they can possibly capture. It's freaking cool. So yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I had two questions. One, is there any problems that auctions don't solve? Uh, basically, no. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I mean, you get into more sophisticated types of auctions, but like, um, there's like a guy that like, maybe it wasn't a Nobel Prize, but there's an, my buddy who's an economist, um, his colleague like won a big prize for a paper about auctions for kidneys like so you're, you're you need a kidney and like how do you get a kidney donor auctions right and it's not exactly an auction it's like a mechanism to match things like you can figure out with math the most efficient way to allocate that subject to a set of constraints um and generally speaking if you zoom out and think about an auction that way where what you're trying to do is incentivize competition to deliver a product or service subject to a set of constraints that is a very useful tool in the types of crypto systems we're building. Very cool. I don't know if Rob's got one more. Yeah. Well, my, my second question there is, I guess a little bit, a little bit more practical, which is that, um, like when we're talking about off-chain actors and on-chain actors, and let's say I have an order to go either off-chain to on-chain or on-chain to off-chain. Like I, I imagine there's a world somewhere where like, this uh, filler could fill my on-chain order. Let's say I want to go. I want to offer amp, right? Where like a there's there's an entity that bids to fill my off-chain order, and like just pays me in like Venmo or Cash App or Apple Pay, and like it's something that looks a lot like local bitcoins, but like a lot more modern and faster and cheaper. Is that possible with this kind of like relayer filler system via auctions? The only like hiccup there is how do you verify that off-chain action happened? Right? And so there's wiggle room here. So, you know, like how do I how do I verify I mean, honestly, there is real world examples of this that are outside of crypto too. How does like UPS verify they delivered a package to your door? or DHL or whatever, right? Well, they take a picture of it now, generally, 
and say, look, yeah. here's the PUBG door. But like, that's not perfect. Um, and so that's where it gets messy. The beautiful thing about blockchain systems is we can publicly verify things. Once you introduce the off-chain kind of messy real world, that verification becomes harder. And you, you, you might have to do like good enough type approaches here where you like trust the Venmo API that says you sent money to this address. And then you can verify that like the Venmo transaction happened mostly, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the beauty of blockchains is verifiability. It's the best thing. I, I just kind of trying to take us to the end here. Um, just like one last thing about across is like, I think it's the best bridge from L2s to L2s. Um, you know, there's quite a bit of competition and things, but so far I would like to see it be used across like every L2 possible. I'm just curious, like how you guys are going about your development resources and how much effort it takes to like onboard another 20 optimistic and ZK rollups in the next like year or two years. Uh, two answers, right? So if um, we've got to make it and we're trying to make it super easy to support um, certain platforms. So like Optimism Superchain, Arbitrum Morbid, Polygon CDK, right? Um, so idea of build support for those um, those stacks and then make it easy to deploy to like every new chain that comes on there. Yep. And that's something yep. that we're working on. Um. It's harder if you're like a one-off specialized bespoke chain because like there's more development, likely there's more development work there. Um, uh, but yeah, Andy, that's that's like how we're thinking about it. And yeah, we want to be- The stack level. Yeah, we want to be everywhere that users want to be, obviously, good for us. Um, uh, we just need to prioritize engineering resources as like sensibly as we can. Yeah. Um... And the last one would just be that, like, let's say we 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 think across to every Arbitrum Orbit chain, all the Optimism Superchain chains. Um, would you guys need to find a new system of relayers for each new chain integration, or would you just imagine to be porting over the existing ones? Or how would that? How does the the intent system scale? For sorry, Andy, for relayers or for on the oval side. No, sorry. For 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 across, like how how does the the intense filling system, um, basically with your third party uh, relayers scale to like multiple chains that are different app chains or different general purpose chains? It's a little bit nuanced, right? It's like, um, so you, you, there's a bunch of constraints here, right? So it's like, okay, if they're EVM compatible chains, like, okay, fine. All all the relayer infrastructure will work on that chain. Um, the constraint might be, how does that relayer balance inventory between uh, that chain and some other chain? How do they do that? And, you know, across is designed because relayers can take repayments on different chains. We actually have a lot of tools to help efficiently rebalance inventory. Yep. Um, but, um, like, does this chain have a, 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 a cheap and fast way to move canonical assets, like using the canonical bridge there? How slow is it? How much use does it have? There are questions there that um, could make that more difficult. Um, uh, I think it's very solvable, but it's kind of a messy problem. I'd put it that way. Yeah, gotcha. Well, thanks, guys. Um, Chris, nice aura ring, bro. And uh, hope you sleep well tonight. 
Thanks for listening to the DeFi by Design podcast. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.